And so today, um, this series that we, we, we brought, I, I said, you know, after we've challenged all these things that need some work in our lives, I'd really like to turn around and let's build the people up in terms of what is fulfillment. What, what, what does it mean? Because the American culture basically promotes the idea of chasing happiness. As a matter of fact, it's sort of written into our founding documents. It was Thomas Jefferson who lifted, uh, I, I don't want to say uh, that he plagiarized, but he certainly borrowed from the English philosopher John Locke when he wrote the famous phrases that are a part of our Declaration of Independence when he said that, that all men are created equal and are endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights, life, liberty, and Locke said property. Life, liberty, and property. John Locke. And so um, Thomas Jefferson grabs this and he says, life, liberty, and the pursuit of what? How many of you know happiness in America can be an idol? It can be a god. It can be, well, I'm not happy in this marriage, so I'm just going to see if I can get out of this one and find me another one. I'm, I'm not happy in this job, and some folks change jobs like they change their underwear. And there's no continuity. There's no level of commitment. And we live in a kind of non-committal society where everything is kind of a throwaway. You know, you've you got disposable diapers and, and, and disposable dishes that come when you prepare your stuff in instant microwave meals. And a lot of folks consider their relationships to be disposable just like they do everything else. But that is contrary to everything that the kingdom of God is about. kingdom of God is lasting. It is everlasting from, from, from eternity past to eternity future. And God wants us to be a people of commitment. Somebody say amen. And so this morning as we look to this new series, I want to talk to you for a few minutes about what it means to be fulfilled. Because you can be fulfilled even when circumstances don't make you happy. Happy is related to what is happening. But I believe joy is contingent upon our living relationship with Jesus. Somebody say amen. Um, uh, there are circumstances that have happened in my life in the last year that have made me very unhappy. But yet I've had joy that has been like a, a buoy that has sort of kept me in the middle of this ocean of being lost without my wife there's been joy that's carried me. And I, every morning I wake up, and I, this is a, a new mantra of mine. I wake up and my eyes pop open and I say, Jesus, thank you for this day. I choose joy. Before I ever get out of this bed, I breathe it out. I say it, I choose joy. Because there are triggers every day. I've been cleaning out my house. I've been going through, and it is, it's amazing. I, we all just need to have an open house and come to Pastor Michael's house. I, I got the attic all cleaned out. You know, I cleaned out the garage once, put in two cars, backed them back out, dumped the garage out, cleaned it out. I've given away a third of it, thrown away a third of it, and, and, and stored a third of it. And, and it's just feeling good to have some, some order coming back into my life. I mean, that's what the kingdom of God is about. God takes chaos, He speaks life into it, and He turns that, that all of that blob of just nothingness of chaos in your life into order he orders it and establishes His kingdom when Christ comes into your heart. Come on, somebody say amen. And so this morning, I want to talk a little bit about what it means to be fulfilled. Um, our, our series text, Pastor Jeremy read last week out of Colossians chapter 4, verse 17. The close of the book of Colossians, the Apostle Paul is writing, and he's mentioning several people in this closing chapter. He's giving encouragement. He's giving instruction. 
Um, occasionally he will give a little bit of correction when there's just been some disagreement among people in the local church. Uh, in, in the book of Colossians, he speaks to a gentleman by the name of Archippus. And it says, so tell Archippus, and he says, this is where we put the little ellipses there, dot, dot, dot. Because I don't want you to see that this is just something that is specific to one individual 2,000 years ago. But it really is a general concept that we all should be pursuing. See that you fulfill. Everybody say fulfill. Fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Now, when something is fulfilled, it is filled full. Play on words. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He came to what? Fulfill it. He filled full all the requirements of the law of God. He fulfilled it. That means it's filled full. It has been now made complete in the finished work of Christ. And so as we look, we recognize that if we're going to enjoy fulfillment, if you have fulfillment in your career, if you have Fulfillment in your relationship, in your marriage, in your family, in your home. By the way, let me stop and give another real quick commercial. Last weekend of September, we're excited. Pastor Chip and his lovely wife, Hope, who's never been here, Hope Bueller, will be with us for the whole weekend for a marriage weekend. We're excited to announce that. That's the last weekend of September. Come on, put your hands together. Everybody, don't care how good you think it is, can always use a little bit of tune-up. There'll be two sessions Friday night, there'll be three sessions Saturday, and then Pastor Chip will conclude preaching on Sunday morning. You'll really enjoy the sense of humor, the camaraderie, just the kind of back and forth that goes on in their wonderful marriage seminar. So in that weekend, we're excited about that. Wonderful time. If you're going to have fulfillment in your marriage, in your home, in your finances, in your career, in your relationship with God, then we need to know what we're looking for to be filled full. See that you fulfill the ministry that you've received in the Lord. Everybody in the room has a ministry. We are called to be ministers of the gospel. That doesn't mean that everybody in the room is supposed to stand up here behind a wooden pulpit or behind a, a barista table or whatever you want to call, however you're going to do it, on a street corner with a megaphone, passing out tracts, leading a Bible study. It doesn't mean that everybody is to be a voice in terms of proclaiming the gospel the way you see the pastoral staff do it on this stage. But everybody is to be a minister in some capacity. We are all able ministers of the New Testament, the book of 2 Corinthians says. And so what we want to do is kind of unpack that a little bit and figure out what all that means. Uh, my text for the message this morning is a familiar one. It's found in uh, the title of the message, Discovering Your Destiny. Say that with me. Discovering your destiny. My message text is found in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. And I'd like you to read it with me, please. You can remain seated. Let's read it out loud. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Very, very different approach when Jesus comes on the scene contrary to the way the Pharisees have an initiation in terms of being part of their very legalistic club. It was a common analogy in this period of time to follow a teacher to, to, to say that you are taking up the yoke of that teacher. 
it was an agricultural analogy, a metaphor, uh, which is likened to a farmer who, <coughs> pardon me, <coughs> a farmer who plows a field with an ox or a pair of oxen, and the way that happens is the farmer puts a yoke around the neck of the ox, the yoke is connected to the plow, and then the farmer directs the ox as he plows the field. And so the yoke is what a, is able to harness the strength of the ox. The yoke is considered by the teacher to be putting on the lifestyle. As the disciples followed Jesus, Jesus lived the kingdom of God before them. He did it and demonstrated it. They watched him. They began to mimeo, Greek word, imitate to mimic him, to do what he did. And as they learned to do what he did, it was because they were following Jesus and they had taken his yoke of teaching upon them. As a matter of fact, when we get to the book of Galatians chapter 5, Paul is wrestling with the legalists and saying, you've been made free in Christ. Stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free and be not entangled again in the yoke of bondage. He was talking about legalism, a certain way of how you see the law of God. And so the yoke that Jesus is asking us to put on here is not a yoke of slavery, but it's a yoke of freedom. But yet in that freedom, there is a little sense of confinement because it's challenging me to begin to follow Him and walk with Jesus. This is contrary to a lot of the American gospel, which basically just sells us fire insurance and says, pray and trust Jesus and escape hell. Get out of jail, card free, comes with it. But really the gospel is not about just escaping some future punishment or judgment. It's about learning how to walk with Jesus and have a, a relationship where you talk to the Lord and you learn to listen and you hear His voice through His word that He has given and through the still small voice of your spirit where He now lives and resides and lives inside you and is prompting you, okay? And so we talk about this yoke. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Very different than the heavy yoke of bondage of the law, of the Pharisees. Jesus is basically saying, look, they're selling you a bill of goods and, and, and you are buying it hook, line, and sinker. Uh, this, this is something that is supposed to transform your life and set you free, not is supposed to bog you down. Jesus had an argument with the Pharisees one day and very simply said, you guys are, 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 are twice children of hell. He says, you, 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 you present your case to the people, but you won't lift one finger to help them lift the heavy burden. And you make every one of your disciples become twice children of hell. And so Jesus basically says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And so we want to talk about this morning in this idea of discovering your destiny. There's one thing I want to communicate through the message that I want you to see. And I want you to read this out loud with me, please. We'll sing this like a chorus regularly in the song, in the message. Here we go. Because you are made in the image of God, you share a common sameness with the family of God and yet hold an uncommon uniqueness in the plan of God. So what I want you to see is what the Apostle Paul talks about, the body of Christ. We, he sees everyone together as one body but yet we are members in particular, is what the King James says. We are the body, but yet Scott is different than I am. 
who is different than Kathy is behind him and Matt beside her. There is, a, uh, there is an uncommon uniqueness to each of us in the plan of God while we share a common sameness in the family of God. Now, I'm going to explain this a little bit. Pastor Jeremy did a marvelous job last week. It blessed my soul to see him bite off a piece of all of the, the scriptures in the New Testament that says that we are called. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says that God is faithful by whom you were called unto the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 1, 5 and 6 say that we are called to belong to Jesus. We are called with a holy calling. We are called to be disciples of Christ. We are called to be disciple makers, to make disciples of all nations. And so he just touched on just a little bitty tiny morsel of this huge idea of that we are called to righteousness, we are called to holiness, we are called to sanctification, we're called to be filled with the Spirit, we're called to be blessed of God, we're called to bless others. Come on, somebody. And so this, this idea of we walk in a general calling as believers is now going to sort of go into the funnel and from the broad picture of the general calling, we're going to kind of funnel this down into your life in terms of a specific calling. Everybody say specific calling. All right, now let's look this morning quickly. We want to harness the power of purpose. Everybody say purpose. Purpose is the idea of everything having a reason for existence. It was George Washington, one of our founding fathers, that said necessity is the mother of invention. You, you come into a set of circumstances that requires you to think differently. This is an overused phrase, but to think outside the box, uh, to look at something with a different perspective. Uh, the, the ingenuity, the creativity of the American spirit is something historically that has blessed the world. Because many, many times we have come up with the ideas that have changed agriculture and technology and communication and science and medicine and business and commerce and so on and so forth. All of these different kinds of inventions. Unfortunately, sometimes we come up with the ideas and then they go to the east and then Japan perfects it and makes it better and sells it back to us cheaper than we could make it in the first place. Uh, forgive me, I don't want to get geopolitical on us here, but that's just a fact. Um, sometimes the, the best products are no longer American. I grew up watching a Zenith TV where the quality go in, goes in before the name goes on. Wouldn't it be great if they'd kept living by that means and there still was a Zenith TV company, but there's not. The TVs in your home are Sony and Samsung and maybe Sanyo, which is American, um, Vizio, but a lot of times, some of these areas where we came up with the ideas, and I'm not preaching an Americanism, God help us, I'm not talking about that. I'm just giving you a little bit of history. This is part of our heritage, okay? Something that it's okay to be, have a little bit of pride in. We're part of a global village, but this is how we've contributed. Come on, somebody say amen. Um, by the way, i got to take 30 seconds and say something about this. I know I'm a little bit all over the place, but I just really feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit. My heart's been grieving over the weekend from the Charlottesville, Virginia nonsense. There is no way you can sanctify racism. Racism is an antichrist spirit. It is from the pit of hell, and God doesn't look at any favorites. He doesn't prefer white over black 
or brown or yellow or red. As a matter of fact, God's favorite color is red. He looks and sees the blood of Jesus on the whole human race. Come on, somebody. Those of the human race who've chosen to trust in the Lord. And so that's God's favorite color is red. He, he's like most of us men when we hit 40, we like red sports cars, you know. So God's favorite color is red. Yeah, anyhow. All right. Um, harness the power of purpose. Purpose is the idea of a reason behind our lives. The French called it the raison d'etre, my reason for being. When you can find your reason for living, then you have found something that will motivate you when times are tough and when you otherwise would be down. The famous American writer Samuel Clements had a pseudonym. His pen name was Mark Twain. He said this famous quote. He said, the two most important days in a man's life are the day he's born and the day he finds out why. Everybody say, my reason. So we need to recognize that God has a reason for us. If we want to understand the purpose of something, we go to the Creator. We go to the inventor. We understand that everything has a purpose. Now, I have a little clip that I want to show you from a favorite movie of mine when my children were little. This is going to go back into the 90s. Some of you might remember some of the Disney movies. And so I pulled this one up. And this is from The Little Mermaid. You will remember the young little precocious young little girl who had this amazing voice. And I remember my little Abby watching The Little Mermaid and trying to sing like her. Uh, and, and getting inspired and getting a vision even for her own life. Uh, the Little Mermaid was uh, dwelt in the sea, and she longed to be up, up there, a part of their world. It's one of the famous words of one of the songs, uh, where I can be a part of their world. And so she has befriended a couple of fish and uh, the sea and a seagull by the name of Scuttles, who is played by the infamous Buddy Hackett. And... Uh, they have just recovered some treasure from a sunken ship up from there, a part of that world outside of where she is living in the sea. And she's wondering what all of these things are for. So as we set up the, the clip, this is what's about to happen. We've got Scuttles explaining to the Little Mermaid what these things are and what they're used for that she's just found. Enjoy the clip with me. Whoa, what a swim. Scuttle, look what we found. Yeah. We're in a sunken ship, and it was really creepy. Human stuff, huh? Hey, let me see. Oh, oh. Look at this. Wow. This is special. This is very, very unusual. What? What is it? It's a dingle hopper. Humans use these little babies to straighten their hair out. See? Just a little twirl here, and I yank down. Boy, oh, like Yeah, I got an aesthetically pleasing configuration of hair that humans go nuts over. <laughs> a dingle hopper. What about that one? Ah, this. I haven't seen in years. This is wonderful. A bandit, bulbous, snarflat. Oh. Now, the snarflat dates back to prehistorical times when humans used to sit around and stare at each other all day. Got very boring. So they invented this snarflat to make fine music. Allow me. Music. Uh, it's stuff. Oh, the concert. Oh, my gosh, my father. 
father's gonna kill me. Because it was today? Maybe you can make a little planner out of it or something. Uh, I'm sorry. I've gotta go. Thank you, Scuttle. Anytime, sweetie. All right, if you remember uh, Little Mermaid, you can see what I have here is a, a plastic uh, representation of a dinglehopper. And um, I, 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 I would, would remind you that if you saw the movie, there was a time when she actually had an opportunity to live in the world above rather than she lost her fin and had legs and began to walk. And she sat down at the table of a king and fell in love with a prince. There's really a lot of gospel analogy and kind of overtones that are in this whole thing, how God calls us out of a lower world of darkness into something higher to live up there where he lives. Come on, somebody. Now, so she's sitting at the table and not really being trained in how to live in that world above. She picks up what she's been told as a dinglehopper, and she starts to twirl it into her hair at the table. And they're like horrified at her, wondering what in the world she's doing. And she thinks she's doing something appropriately, but she's been told wrong by a religious leader over the, the, the first church of the sea. And so this many times is some of the nonsense that we've been told about how God is and how He lives in the spirit realm and all these things. There is a purpose for this thing. And we all very readily recognize this, but if you've never been taught how, if you're from an Asian culture and used to two pieces of wood in order to pick up your food, this probably is something very foreign to you. Though I'm sure that probably at this point in, in 2017 that most folks via television and media have probably seen this and it's near worldwide. But if you don't know what it's for, uh, then you probably don't know how to use it the right way. Dr. Miles Monroe, an uh, islander, African-American or African islander, a uh, great, great man in the kingdom of God, said this years ago, he's a hero of mine, he said, when purpose is not understood, abuse is inevitable. When purpose is not understood, abuse is inevitable. For example, God has given us this precious gift in, in human existence between a husband and wife called sex. And it is a blessed time of intimacy uh, in the confines of the protection of, of a marriage between a man and a woman, contrary to what society is saying today. But biblically, this is where God blesses, and it's meant to be enjoyed. It's not just for making babies, but it's to be enjoyed for husband and wife. Now, when you don't recognize the God-given purpose for that thing, it becomes perverted, and abuse becomes inevitable. Now, I can take that to any good gift that God has given, because the enemy can't create anything. He has no creative skills whatsoever. He only takes what God has given and twists it and perverts it, and mangles it and, and wrangles with it and makes it something that becomes a curse instead of a blessing. Come on, don't shout me down. I'm preaching real good this morning. When purpose isn't understood, abuse is inevitable. That works for us in our lives as well. We want to harness the power of purpose. So the way we do that is number two, we find our yoke. That's what you have to remember. I want to remind you because you are made in the image of God, you share a common sameness with the whole family of God, and yet at the same time you hold an uncommon uniqueness in the plan of God. We're all part of the same body, but we're not all the same. Uh, we, are, we are not identical. We, we, we have all kinds of different characteristics in terms of appearance and personality and skill sets. We're not all born the same into the world. Come on, somebody say amen. 
And so we recognize that as we harness the purpose of power, what did, what did Twain say? Two most important days are the day that you were born and then the, the, the day you find out why. I would say there are three. I think the day you were born, the day you're born again, and then the day you begin to understand why God chose you and put His hand of blessing on your life. The day you find out why. Number two, finding your yoke. Finding your yoke. It, it's, it's, it's a question that I believe was, it was Abraham Lincoln that said, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. It's amazing how many times God will lead us through a set of circumstances to begin to prepare our hearts and all of a sudden we're brought into contact with maybe a a television broadcast and uh, we hear a word and it changes our lives. Or maybe you've stumbled into this church this morning never having been. Maybe you grew up in church and something is different in terms of how you're hearing what we're presenting to you today. And it's amazing how when our hearts begin to get hungry, God all of a sudden opens up all over the place the opportunity to begin to feed that hunger and meet those needs. How do I find my yoke? Well, it takes the assistance of others alongside me. It takes the assistance of those who have some wisdom, maybe who have some life experience, who may possibly lived a little longer than we have, who might have a little bit of insight into humanity, might be able to look at you and be able to discern your gifts. Nobody in the room would argue with me that my daughter is a gifted singer. Um, Crazy opportunities are happening right now that she won't even let me tell folks about. But the next six months, 2018, is going to be absolutely indescribable. Just the stuff that's happening. And just the favor of God and the doors that are opening up. You know, um, as a child, I, I, I thought she was pretty good. Uh, and she started singing on this platform probably by the time she was like 10 and regularly when she was 12 and started teaching the rest of our vocalist parts when she was about 14. And, and, and the crazy thing is now is, is there are artists, and I won't just start a, a name-dropping game, but artists are, are, are requesting Abby to do the vocal production on their albums. And she's making crazy money doing it. And I said, baby, you know, you learned that on my platform, honey. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. <laughs> now, my son, uh, his giftings were not quite as obvious as Abby's were. He, he was a pretty good little athlete and ball player. He was a chubby little guy like his daddy, bless his heart. He couldn't help it. I remember walking through the mall one day, and he walked just like me, and he looked just like me, and talked just like me, and somebody said to my wife, said, man, he marked him, looked at her and said, you can't deny him, and she said, I don't think I like that. You'll get it in a minute. Um, It was just some of Dawn's humor. Uh, I'm so glad that I can tell that and not cry, (coughs) that the Lord's gradually healing me from everything that I've been through. I'm grateful for that. But I noticed when he was a senior in high school, all the boys that were over at our house and I happened to just one day be sitting back and listening to them joking and kidding around like 17, 18-year-old boys do. And I looked and I just happened to notice that the quarterback of Marion High School and the quarterback of West Memphis High School and the quarterback of West Memphis Christian were all standing in my kitchen eating, gorging on my food. The way teenage boys do. And I just stepped back and I looked at this and I thought, I remember growing up here, graduate from West Memphis High School, and the rivalry that existed between West Memphis and Marion 
and, and even those two in West Memphis Christian. And I looked here and I just thought, this is pretty remarkable because all of this is around my son. They are here. All of them are gathered. Uh, if I were to put a ministry gift on this, I would say Drew has an evangelistic sense of a call on his life. And I'm not trying to make him a preacher. I've never put any of that on my children. I feel like they have to sense that in the timing of the Lord on them. But I just looked at him one day. We were riding in the car. We were by ourselves. It was just me and Drew. And I said, Drew, I don't know how you're going to use this, but I'm, I'm prophesying to you. I've seen this prophetically. You remember last Friday night, or not Friday night, but whenever it was, uh, it was there wasn't a ball game. And, and all those boys, fine young men, all standing in our kitchen and all befriending you and kind of coming and hanging around you. And they'd all become great friends because of you. You were the hub of that. I said, I don't know how you're going to use this, but you have a networking gift in your life. And y'all, he could talk to anybody. He can sell ice to an Eskimo. He, he went in before a big billion-dollar corporation CEO, and he sat down, got, got the audience after he'd worked for months, and the guy says, well, young man, Drew Smith, tell me, tell me who you are. He said, he said, where are you from, son? This is a Texas guy. You know, everything's, hats are bigger, everything's bigger in Texas. <clears throat> and the guy says, well, sir... And, of course, you know, Drew lives in Fort Worth now. And so Drew says, well, sir, I was born in North Carolina. I was raised in Arkansas, but I got, it, got to Texas as quick as I could. <laughs> that guy gave Drew the business just because of that joke right there. I, he said, son, I like you. I'm going to give you my business. My business. And, and, and he can talk to anybody. And so there's, this, there's a gift in his life and I said, I don't know how you're going to work this. And so it began to grow more in college. And then he studied international business. And then he got into transportation logistics. And it's crazy. I, I, I don't want to make this a time where I'm standing up here bragging on my kids. But I'm just overwhelmed at the blessing of God. Going, God, you are amazing in what you're doing in my children's lives. Because as much as I could tell you the crazy things that shock us that are happening in Abby's life, Drew's got the same stuff going on in his in the business world. And I'm just... I'm just and that was what was so crazy last year when this event happened in my life and Dawn took her life and Drew's career was emerging and Abby's was emerging and we were getting ready to break ground and build this church and it just things were amazing and, and I'm, we were sitting on the patio talking about grandkids and I'm trying to cheer her up in her depression and her paranoia and then boom, this, this happened and I'm, just, I'm still scratching my head going, God, how did this happen? Just to see so many wonderful blessings and things happening and, and, and the beauty of that is that Abby found her yoke. Drew found his yoke. He found a yoke that was easy and a burden that was light. This is why when you come to Victory, we don't visit you on the next Sunday when you're here twice in a row and go, okay, we want you to lead the bus ministry, pick up all the kids. We don't give you a job for six months because we want you to get in here and find out who we are and get rested and get blessed and figure out that God has a yoke that's completely designed for you that won't wear you out, it won't spiritually burn you out. But when you find out what your passion is and you do it, you figure out what it is that you can do half asleep with one hand tied behind your back, you can do that for till kingdom come and enjoy every day of it. It breaks my heart when people sit down in my office and they say, Pastor, I hate my job. What am I going to do? I've got a mortgage and I've got two cars and kids that are growing up and getting ready to go to college and I've got all these credit cards and I hate this job. 
And you know, the thing is, I want to go, why didn't you talk to me 20 years ago before you went into that? I, I could have helped you ask you some questions that I believe would have helped you discern what it is for the yoke that's fitted for your life because you're called to a specific kind of ministry, a calling. I believe that calling is not just for preachers on a pulpit on Sunday, but calling is for teachers Monday through Friday. Calling is for doctors and calling is for quality control supervisors and quality is for, for, for AC, HVAC men. Quality is for whatever it is. I, I, quality, I believe calling. Stop me, I'm just preaching away. And Calling is for every one of those things. I believe you can be blessed because you're doing something that you love to do. And I believe when you're living in your calling, you're more apt to be living in quality. Come on, say amen, somebody. And so I want to ask you three questions real quickly. This is what the Bible does, helping leaders before they emerged into the blessing of their career, their spiritual career, God asked them a question. The first question is this, what is in your hand? Does anybody remember who God asked that to? God asked that to Moses in Exodus chapter 4. When God called Moses to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt and into the promised land, Moses said, there's no way they're going to believe me. There's absolutely no way because I, I'm 40 years back here, 40 years ago when I was young enough to do it. That's another side message I'm not going to chase, but basically God will wait sometimes until you figure out you can't do it in yourself, in your own strength, so that he can empower you to do it in his. Come on, somebody. What's in your hand, Moses? He said, a staff, a shepherd's staff. And God said, throw it down. And he threw it down and it became a snake and Moses was afraid. God said, reach out your hand and take it up. And he took it up and it became a staff again. And what God was saying was, what you've been training to do for the last 40 years is an indication of the ministry that I'm going to use you in to bless my people. Just like you've shepherded sheep, you're going to lead my people Israel out of their bondage into freedom from slavery. Come on, somebody. And so this worked in my life a number of years ago, actually probably 15, 16, maybe 17 or so years ago. I was very concerned about Drew's headed to graduation. Abby's coming up shortly behind him. The church was in no place to give me a raise, and I needed more money. And... I, I just, you know, there's not a whole lot you can do. Either you're going to teach school with a history degree. Uh, you know, I can't, I, I, I don't know that I can go out here and at that time write any books to be able to help people learn, learn how to grow a church because ours was just kind of stagnant at that point. And I just said, God, I need you to help me. And so the Lord reminded me. He asked me the question. He breathed it into my spirit. I heard, like God asked Moses, he said, what's in your hand, Michael? And I said, well, 30 plus years of piano training. He said, well... Put an ad in the paper and go teach you some piano students. And so I started taking a couple afternoons a week to begin to supplement my income and paid some credit cards down and began to get ready for school and, and began to get our personal financial picture in a better place because the Lord used this principle in my own life. What's in your hand? It's something that I love to do. I, I can do it with one hand tied behind my back. Although sometimes I get a little frustrated with all the banging, but I, you know, I love, I've, I've learned patience and I love, I love children. Are, are, are you hearing me this morning? And so God would ask you, what's in your hand? Because many times the preparation God's led you through is for something you just don't understand the bigness of it yet. Okay, secondly, what's in your head? Acts 22.3, the Apostle Paul says that he sat at one of the finest teachers in all of uh, Hebrew 
academia. His name was Gamaliel. And so God used the training that Saul of Tarsus had, but he transformed him with a life-changing encounter with the Holy Spirit on the Damascus Road, and he breathed life into all that dead legalism, and Paul's understanding of the Old Covenant began to provide the framework for him to show us how that now has been fulfilled in Christ. And we have two-thirds of the New Testament written by a guy who had in his head the training of all the old-school Hebrewisms. And so God will use your training. God will use what's what's in your hand, what's in your head. And then finally this morning, the third question is, what's in your heart? Everybody say, what's in your heart? Okay, now I believe that God puts the desires that we're supposed to have in our hearts. Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your hearts. Now, the prosperity teachers grabbed this back in the 70s and said that, you know, with this scripture you can stand on that promise and you can trust God for a Cadillac or for a, um, you know, a bigger house or for... um, you know, a Range Rover or a Mercedes or whatever. And there's not anything intrinsically wrong with anything. I love Cadillacs and Mercedes and Range Rovers and houseboats and bigger houses and all that. It's the motivation behind it, though, that becomes the questionable reason. And I really believe their interpretation of that is not anywhere near what the Word was saying. I believe that when I delight in the Lord, He will put the desires in my heart that I'm supposed to have. I believe that's what that's saying. I don't believe it's saying that whatever I can conjure up in my craziest, wildest imagination, you know, God, I just I ask you that you let me befriend Elon Musk and that I uh, own a rocket that goes to Mars. That's just absurd, okay? That's just not going to happen, okay? Um, people use and abuse Philippians 4.13 that way. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, guess what? We need some context for that. Paul wrote in Philippians 4 and he said, I can do all things. He was talking about being in a place of great blessing and having every provision met and also being in a place where he didn't have anything. But he said, in the middle of all of that, I've learned how to be content. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I see young people sometimes go, well, you know, I'm trusting God. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let me just tell you right now, I will never be a part of the New York Ballet. Can you imagine? 56, I don't care how much weight I lose, it ain't ever going to happen. I will never win the Olympics in speed. First of all, I'm not built for speed, I'm built for luxury. I'm an SUV. I'm a Hummer, baby. Some of you are built like little sports cars that are fine-tuned for all kinds of speed. Some of us are built for luxury. Praise God. Uh, I, I will never sit as the first chair concert master, the violinist for the New York Philharmonic. That's not going to happen. Uh, I will never be an astronaut. So I can't take Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and try to apply that to any one of those situations and twist God's arm behind his back and said, you told me you would strengthen me to do anything. Well, yeah, the anything is what God has called you to do. It's not the crazy nonsense that people sometimes try to come up with. And so I would ask you, What's in your hand? What's in your head? What's in your heart? And I think that as you begin to ask these questions to discern and discover your own destiny, my last point is this, and I'm finishing. Are you getting anything out of this this morning? All right. Um, I remember going shopping one time with Dawn, 
And after that, I learned that probably Abby should go with her because it's like um, we, we were involved in bringing things and laying them over the door. Here, try this on. Look at your neighbor and say, here, try this on. And, and so we were just kind of bombarding, and she said, don't ever come shopping with me again. And she was just kidding, but she was not kidding. And so I want you to realize that there is a certain shape that all of us have. Um, somebody said, are you in shape? I said, yeah, I'm in shape. Round is a shape, baby. <laughs> uh, I, I rode 17 miles on my bicycle yesterday, so don't look at me in that tone of voice. Ain't bad for a fat boy. And so I'm, I'm plowing, I'm pulling, I'm, I'm, I'm working hard, trying to, get, trying to get back in shape and drop about 100 pounds. Um, each of us has a unique shape, very simply. And I'm not going to take time. I, I could take time and elaborate, but our time is drawing clo to close. Look at this. Learn your shape. Try this on. Number one, you each have a unique spiritual gift. Spiritual gifts are listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, I'm not even going to take time to, to quote the list because I'll go off on a trail. I need to finish. God has given you spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7 says that you, become, that you come behind in no spiritual gift. Paul the Apostle was encouraging the people that as they are imparted gifts by the Holy Spirit to learn what that gift is and to exercise it and walk in it because you have a peace that I don't have. The cooks back here, lovely couple. Their gifts in their lives that are unique to them that are different than the Murphys, Jack and Tina. I'm thankful for the gifts that are in theirs, but they're different than the gifts that are in the Sotos or in Lana Blankenship next to her. So learn what your gift is. The next thing that's a part of your shape and who, what makes you unique and, and the reason that God has made you is what is in your heart. We just spent time on delighting in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. He will make you begin to desire. Let me elaborate on that a little bit right here at this point. If you're wondering what's in your heart, first of all, there are three little questions you can put under this that I want to ask you. First of all, what makes you mad? Now, that isn't just because you're easily offended. First of all, folks need to grow up and mature a little bit. If you're offended all the time, bless God, you're in for a rough, a tough road to hoe, as they say. Um, but really, what's in your what make what angers you that's in this culture? What 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 raises the dander on your back? Is it um, is it social injustice? Is it racism? Is it abortion? Um, is it poverty? Uh, I, I can go on through a list, but what, what, what really angers you when you realize that we as the church could be doing a better job? What, 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 what kind of, just when people are mistreated and, and, and they're bullied, does that, does that cause anger, a righteous kind of anger to rise in your heart? What makes you mad? Secondly, what makes you sad when, when you see someone that is lacking in an area and you know that as the body of Christ, the church could be doing a better job? Maybe this is a ministry area that the Lord has called you to. Maybe reaching out to uh, uneducated, impoverished folk to help them get an entry-level job. So I'm, I'm trying to help you stir up what is it that the Lord has put in your heart. What makes you mad? What makes you sad? And then finally, what makes you glad? What, what gives you rejoicing? What, 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 what fills up your heart with great joy and fulfillment uh, when you're able to bless someone with a particular area that you're gifted in, an area of service, uh, 
um, something that you, you're blessed with finances and you want to buy somebody a gift and help them out or maybe pay for a service for a single mom in the church. Maybe get her oil changed on her car or uh, maybe you know, give her a night out where she can get away from a house full of kids for a little while. Are, are you hearing what I'm saying here tonight? There are a lot of different things that we can do. What makes you glad? What makes you mad? What makes you sad? So that answers the question of what's in your heart. Because those are the desires that God has put there. Uh, thirdly, what are, your, what are your natural abilities? Are you organizational? Uh, are you creative? Are you an, an evangelistic kind of an initiator? Can you get things cranked up on the front end, but then somebody else needs to come back in and do the follow-through? Are you the long-term follow-through person? After someone else spearheads it, can you carry it through and help really make it work by oiling the machinery? Learning the abilities that God has given you. Are you mathematical? Are you athletic? Are you musical? You know, really it's learning how, what our gifts are, our shape, and then staying in our lane. Nothing is more disheartening than to see a person who can't carry a tune in the bucket coming to me as pastor and going, Pastor Michael, I really want to sing on the praise team. And I want to go, sweetheart, I love you, but your gifts lie in other areas. And it's hard sometimes to be able to say to people, this is not your area of gifting, especially when they've identified that as theirs and they see that as part of their identity. Help me preach a little bit this morning. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Spiritual gifts, heart, natural abilities, your personality. Are you an introvert? Well, if you're an introvert, we're probably not going to take you to Beale Street and have you witness to folks on the evangelism team or maybe go knocking on doors. Are you an extrovert? Well, we're probably not going to just lock you in an office somewhere where you're organizing files. Especially, a lot of times, extroverted people are not necessarily the most organizational folk. All right, don't shout me down. Now, come on, somebody. And so it's learning your shape. And then finally, your life experiences. What have you been through? What has God led you through? Uh, I, I, I'm going to refer to my brother back here, Brad Johnson, and tr tremendous testimony of transformation. God delivering him from drugs and just a life of bondage in that. And because, because of his life experience, I can sit down and pray with somebody and show him a biblical principle, but he can say, brother, I was there. And God set me free. And that's more powerful than just what I can do secondhand. His is firsthand. But there are things that I can do to minister to people that are not the same as what Brad can. And so what I want you to realize is don't be envious of anybody else's place in the church. Find your place. Find your yoke. Discover your destiny. Here, try this on. And guess what you do? If you're not on a serve team, get on one. Doesn't mean that's where you're going to stay forever. But just start moving. Dr. Billy Graham said this, God cannot guide person that is not in motion. If you're just sitting still going, God lead me, well you need to get up and start moving and then God, you know it's a lot easier to, to change the direction of a car that's already in motion, but you try to go out there in the parking lot and push it around in order to get it to go in another direction, you're going to work really, really hard. Start the car, start moving, God will then alter the path that you're going to take. Have you got anything out of this this morning? All right. Last scripture, and I'm finished, Philippians 2, 12, and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation 
with fear and trembling. Everybody say, work out. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you. Everybody say, work in. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work of his good pleasure. Now, I love the body of Christ and I read so broadly across all the denominational spectrums and I have heroes in every camp. But if you've come from a Methodist background, you've heard work out your own salvation more than you have the next verse. If you've come from a Baptist or a Presbyterian background, you've heard verse 13 more than you have verse 12. God works in you. And somebody says, well, which is it? And I go, yes. Which is it? Yes. Everybody say both. Kind of like Forrest Gump. I believe it's both. And so we realize that God is working in us and then we work out what God is working in. And notice when he works it in, he works in both to will and to do. Everybody say the want to and the action. Now how many of you know there's a lot of folks who want to but don't ever get up? Abby asked me yesterday, she said, Dad, have you written this week? I said, no, hadn't had the will. I've had the will but hadn't had the to do. Didn't feel good. Wrestling with energy issues. So finally I just got up and said, you know what, I'm not going to make any more excuses. I got to get out and ride. And so God works in us both to will, the want to, and the to do, the action to take a, take a step. And then we get up and work out what he has worked in. This morning, discerning your personal destiny, your specific calling, has to begin with answering the general call. Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord over your life? Has He come in and taken up His home inside you? Only the realization that there's no way I could earn or work or deserve or stand before a holy God in all of my unholiness, but it's only through Jesus Christ, my substitutionary sacrifice. He took my place. My sins were nailed to His cross and He took them to the grave and buried them and he was raised the third day and he got up without the sin without the penalty of the sin and he broke the power of the sin And this morning a new identity is offered to each of you in this place heads are bowed, eyes are closed, nobody